Good morning, church, and welcome. I'm excited that you're here on this Labor Day weekend. If you have the day off tomorrow, I hope that you get to rest and enjoy and maybe grill out some hamburgers and then maybe invite me over because I love hamburgers. And so um, feel free to do that. We're, we're excited that you're here. My name is Caleb. I'm the student pastor here, so I have the honor and the privilege of working with our 7th through 12th grade students. Um, our lead pastor, Stephen Lowry, is actually on sabbatical. So if you're, you're new here, you're visiting with us, and you wonder why is the student pastor speaking, it's because our, our pastor is on sabbatical through the month of, of August. August and September. And so unfortunately for you, you're stuck with me this morning. And so what we've been doing with our pastor gone is looking at a series of value statements that we have here as a church. And, and every so often we try to, to talk about these value statements and, and we don't want them to be something that's just kind of fun to say or a cute little statement that's just kind of up on the wall or that the staff says. No, we want it to, to these statements to, to be who we are as a church, who we are as a people. So we, we kind of talk about them over and over and over again because we truly do believe that they're true. And so, so we started this whole kind of series off, we started it with the idea that life is in Jesus, that real life, true life is only found in Jesus. So that if we build our lives on Jesus, if Jesus is the foundation, then everything in our lives will go better, right? And so all of the rest of these value statements can be true, but they can't be true outside of Jesus. So that they're all dependent upon that very first value statement that life is in Jesus. We, we believe that Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And then we talked about how life is better together. We talked about how community is so important in the Christian faith. And you got to hear from a few of our, our members here about how their life groups, their small groups, have had an impact in their lives. How those life groups have been there to encourage them and support them when, when they're facing difficulties. How they've been there to challenge them, to help them grow in their faith. Which actually leads into our next value statement we talked about, which is growing people change. And this one's always kind of the, the difficult one to talk about. Um, so last week there was a guy named Patrick here. He did an amazing job talking about change, talking about how growing people change. Because I think we all want to grow. We all want to become better versions of ourselves. We all want to say, I would love to have a stronger faith in God, but I don't really want to do anything different, right? Like I don't really want to change. I just want to be better or my life to go better or things to be different, but I don't want to change. We believe that change is hard. And Patrick last week talked about how a lot of times God will use the trials and the difficulties of our lives to help us to grow and to change. And that if we can lean into that, if we can learn to trust God in the middle of our trials, that he can actually grow our faith in him. And if you haven't, if you weren't here last week, you missed an incredible message. Patrick did an amazing job. You can go online and listen to it. Um, I was sitting over there, and I was the whole time just thinking, man, this is great. I'm taking notes. I'm like, wow, this great insight, wonderful insight. Oh, my goodness, it's so great. And then about three-quarters of the way through, I realized, I have to talk next week, and I have to follow this guy. Like, maybe he could mess up really quick so I look better, right? So, I, again, I'm sorry that you're stuck with me. Um, I've had a, a, a baby two weeks ago. Oh, I didn't have a baby. My wife had a baby. But, but yeah, so... So I'm a little bit sleep deprived. So if I sound crazy, that's why I'm just going to blame it on my son, right? We're just going to start that right now. So, but, but I'm so excited. It's been so fun being a new dad. And so this morning, I get the honor and privilege of talking about the value statement that found people find people. So this idea that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we're supposed to share our faith, that we're supposed to tell other people about him. Or maybe there's this big like Christian word you've heard called evangelism, right? That we're supposed to evangelize people. Right? We're supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus. We're supposed to ask them if they want to follow Jesus. We're supposed to lead people into following Jesus. We're supposed to do all of these things. And I'm going to be real honest. Like I, I've been a Christian a long time, about 20 years, and, and I've heard this over and over and over again that I'm supposed to share my faith, right? I'm supposed to evangelize. But, but honestly, it's pretty difficult, and it, it can be pretty intimidating, 
right? Because when I hear the word evangelism, I don't know about you, but what I think of is the guy like standing on the street corner on his soapbox that's just yelling at every single person that walks by. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know about that, right? Because Jesus says that I'm supposed to love people and I don't think that dude loves anybody, right? It's like, I don't, I don't wanna be that. Or, or then maybe I think about like the people that come and knock on your doors and like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And I'm like, this is the worst time ever to knock on my door, right? And I didn't realize that until I had a baby because like it never really bothered me if people came to knock on my door until now because here's the thing, my, my child, Grayson, he sleeps great during the day. <laughs> At night, not so much. And, and, and so whenever he's asleep, right, people tell you sleep when the baby sleeps. I'm like, that's impossible, right? But we'll try, right? And so what happens, it's like a magnet. As soon as Grayson falls asleep, someone's at my door. I'm like, how do you know this thing, right? And so like, I don't want to be the person that's just driving people crazy, knocking on their door when their baby's trying to sleep. And like, I don't want to be the angry guy on the corner yelling at people, right? So like, if I'm supposed to share my faith, I'm supposed to evangelize, like, I don't want to be either of those things. So, so what am I exactly supposed to do? And I'm a pastor, so like this is supposed to be easy for me, but I'm going to let you in a secret. It's not. Don't tell anybody, right? But, but it's not, right? This is my job, and it's supposed to be easy for me, but, and, and I'm going to be real honest, it's, it's not. And, and so I'm going to tell you a story about myself. Um, I hate, hate getting my hair cut. It's like my least favorite thing to do in the entire world. So uh, there's a backstory to this that I don't have time to tell you, but, but about 10 years ago, I was attacked by a meth addict. He slit my throat, came up behind me with a knife. It's a crazy story. I'll tell you about it later when I have more time. But because of that, I don't like people behind me where I can't see them, and I really don't like people behind me with sharp things. So you think about getting your hair cut, someone behind me, scissors, it's just, it doesn't go well, right? So for years after this, this happened, um, I wouldn't go to like get my actual haircut. I would just have friends or Sam, my wife, like buzz my hair with clippers because there was no sharp objects involved and I could like make sure I knew the person really well. So like, I didn't get haircuts for, for years until I got married. And like for my wedding, I was like, okay, I need to grow up, get a big boy haircut for my wedding, right? And so I was like, I don't know. So I went to Supercuts. And I walk in, and I sit down, and like, the, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I sit down, and, and the person like gets the clippers and like does like the sides and then st starts to cut my hair. I'm like, okay, I have to go, bye. Like paid him and walked out with like just half my hair did. I'm like, okay, I just got a butt. Like I couldn't do it. I was terrified. And so, so a few weeks later, Sam was like, hey, why don't you go to my hairdresser? Her name's Casey. She's super sweet. She's, she's not going to slit your throat, right? Like, she's fine. She's not going to hurt you, right? It's going to be great. So I'll talk to her before and kind of explain the situation. And, and so I did. I went to this girl named Casey. She was super nice. She cut my hair. And, and, and so ever since then, I've been getting big boy haircuts. Thank you very much. I'm very proud of that. But I only went to Casey. She was the only person I let cut my hair. And then I moved to Fort Worth from Wichita Falls. And Casey lives in Wichita Falls, and she would not move to Fort Worth with us. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but and so I, what I had to do is I had to find someone else to cut my hair. So I've been to just about every single barbershop in Fort Worth because what happens is I go in, and I'm like, it's, plus I'm an introvert, and like, I don't know like, what I'm supposed to talk about when someone's cutting my hair. Like, hey, how's the haircutting business. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't have the spiritual gift of conversation. I would much rather be up here talking to you out there than, like, having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone I don't know. So it's just, like, awkward, and I'm already uncomfortable, and so I just hate it. And so what happens is I go to a barber, and I'm there for, like, one or two times, and I'm like, okay, I gotta find someone else because they're just not as good as Casey, right? And so finally, I've, I've found a barber that I like. She's nice. She cuts my hair. She talks a lot, which I love because then I don't have to talk as much. So it's great, right? It's, it's like the perfect situation. And, and so 
Um, a few months ago, I realized, though, that like, oh, every time I get my hair cut, like, I dread it, right? Like, I get my hair cut about once a month, and for like, I get my hair cut, and it's great, and then like, I immediately start thinking, oh, I'm going to have to do this again in a month. I have to do this again in a month. Like, and, and so like, if people like, ask the question, like, what is your, like, if you could choose to have a superpower, like, what would it be? And some people would be like, oh, I would fly, or some people are like, oh, I would have super strength. And I'm like, no, I would have the ability to control the length of my hair at all times so I never have to get another haircut again. Like, that would be my superpower, right? I just hate it. But I just realized a couple months ago that, that I'm wasting this opportunity, right? That, that I'm just dreading this and I'm just, you know, being a big baby about it, let's be honest, right? And, and just like, God has given me the opportunity to share my faith with, with my barber. Like, like, I could actually, like, talk to her about my faith. Like, like that could be something I could talk about, right? Like, this will be great. This will be better. Maybe God is, has giving, given me this barber so that I can share my faith. And so a few months ago, before we went to Wales on our mission trip, if you don't know, our church is in a 10-year partnership with churches in, in Wales. We go over and, and we go into the schools and we get to talk about Jesus. It's great. And so I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to go in. I'm going to talk about how I'm going to Wales. She's going to be like, why are you going to Wales? I'm going to be like, well, let me tell you. I'm going with my church. We're going into the schools. We're going to talk about Jesus. She's going to be like, you're talking about Jesus. Why are you talking about Jesus? And I'm going to like share the gospel with her. And she's going to be like, oh, I need Jesus too. And then, and, then, and then I'm thinking, okay, she's going to accept Jesus. But then everyone else in the barbershop, it's going to be like the movie barbershop where everyone's just talking. And they're like, oh, you're, what, do you, what do you mean, Jesus? And I'm going to get to share the faith of like all the barbers and all the clients at the same time. And we're going to have a revival right here in the barbershop because I'm going to share my faith with my barber. Like, I just have it in my mind. So I'm going to start praying. Like, God, you know, give me the words to say. Give me the boldness and courage, right? And then I get to the barbershop, and, and normally, again, she, she's a talker, which I love, and, and she's just, like, quiet. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. So I'm like, hey, well, I'm going to Wales. And she's like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, okay, work with me here, work with me here, right? Like, I need some help. And, and, and so um, I can tell just kind of something's wrong. Like, she's just not having, like, a great day. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is it. I'm going to ask what's wrong. She's going to open up about this big problem she's having. And I'm going to be like, let me tell you about how God has worked in my life in a similar situation. Like, it's, gonna, it's just going to be perfect. It's going to be great. And so I say, hey, what's wrong? She's like, oh, I just don't feel very good. Cool. Okay. I'm like, okay, God, so, you know, just give me the words to say. Give me the words to say. And I'm thinking, okay, I just, I just need to tell her about Jesus. I need to tell her about Jesus. And then I start thinking, if I tell her about Jesus and it doesn't go well, I'm going to have to move because I've already tried all the barbers here in Fort Worth, right? Like, I just, I can't lose this barber. And so I chicken out. Didn't share my faith with her. And I had to leave the barber shop. I had to go to God and I had to apologize. Say, God, forgive me for not sharing my faith. And as your student pastor, students, I have to apologize because I challenge you all the time to share your faith, and I'm sorry that I didn't when I had the opportunity. And I think, I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about sharing my faith, sometimes I make it this big, giant thing that just kind of feels impossible. That even if I'm a pastor, it's supposed to be easy, but it's just not and maybe you think the same thing. Maybe you know you're supposed to share your faith, but, but you just don't because maybe for you, you just don't know what to say, right? Like you're scared to share your faith because what if you tell someone about Jesus or you tell someone you're a follower of Jesus and they come back at you with questions or challenges and you're like, oh, deer in the headlights, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how to respond. I'm just terrified. I don't want that to happen. I don't want to make things worse. So instead, I'm just going to kind of keep my mouth shut, right? Maybe that's you. 
Or maybe, maybe you just don't want to offend people, right? Because we think of evangelism as like the street preacher. And in today's culture, right, you can't say anybody is wrong or, or you, can't say, you can't say anything that offends someone, right? Because then you're an awful person, right? So you don't want to offend someone. You don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. So you said, I'm just going to keep to myself. Like, I'll follow Jesus, right? I'll go to church. Like, I'll read my Bible. But, but I don't want to offend anyone else. So I'm just not going to talk about it. Right? And, and this is a problem with my generation, millennials. About 47% of millennials think it's actually wrong to evangelize, right? That they, they think it's wrong to, to try to push your faith on someone, to tell someone about your faith, right? And I'm a millennial, so I'm not proud of that, that stat, right? And what's interesting is actually compared to other generations, millennials actually feel more comfortable talking about their faith than Gen X or boomers. They, they feel more comfortable having conversations about their faith. They just simply think it's wrong to push their faith onto other people. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, yeah, it's great. I, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to tell anyone about it, right? That's not my place. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Or maybe for you, it's neither of those things. Maybe you just don't know anyone that's not a Christian, right? Maybe you live your life in your own little Christian bubble, right? You come to church and you hang out with Christians. Like you go home and you, and you don't talk to anyone that's not really a Christian because like you don't want like the world to influence you. And so you just like protect yourself from anyone that's not a Christian. Like, so when I say you need to share your faith with someone, you're like, I don't know anyone that's not a Christian. I don't know, I don't know who I'd share my faith with. So you're like, I guess I just got to share my faith in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. But you can't even do that because they're so fast now. Like you can't even talk to anyone. Like it's like, like I pulled up to the drive-thru in Chick-fil-A yesterday and they had the, my, the bag and the drink out the window. I'm like, this is literally drive-thru. Like I, I, you know, maybe that's the only time that you see someone that's not a Christian, right? And, and, and let's be real, it's Chick-fil-A, it's Jesus chicken. So like, even that they probably know Jesus, right? And, and so you're like, I just don't know anyone that's not a Christian. Or, or maybe for you, you just think it's for other people to do. Like maybe you've taken a spiritual gift test and you're like, I don't have the gift of evangelism, right? So, so I'll, like, I'll just give money to missions, right? And, and then I'll just stick to, to coming to church and reading my Bible. But, but it's, that's for other people to do. It's for other people to share their faith. That's not for me. And like when I say all of these things, I don't want you to think that I'm judging because I'm saying all these things because I've thought each and every one of them. I'm guilty of, of thinking each one of these things. But my, what I want to do this morning is, is think maybe we're completely overthinking this entire thing. Like what if sharing our faith is way more simple than we've built it up to be in our minds? What, what if we, it was never intended to be this giant, complicated mess of a thing we, we have in our minds? And what if it's way more simple than that? Because see, when Jesus lived on earth, he had a tendency to simplify things. And by simplify, I don't, I don't mean that he made things easier. In fact, most of the time he made them harder. He raised the bar. But, but he always simplified. And what I mean by that is like he came to people and he says, you know, you've heard it said that you should not murder people. We're like, yeah, that's a good rule, Jesus. He says, I, I'm going to change that. If you've ever been angry at anyone without cause, it's the same as murder. We're like, what? That's way harder. Like, that's raising the bar, Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know. But it's way simpler, right? It's not, there's no loopholes in this. Or he says this one. He says, hey, I've, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. We're like, check, good. I've never committed adultery. Great. He says, well, if you've ever lusted after anyone, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And we're like, what? Jesus, again, this is way harder. And he's like, yeah, that's the point. I'm raising the bar so high that you realize you can't do this on your own. You need me, right? He, he made things more simple. And then, then he does something crazy. Jesus comes out and says this. He says, you know what? All of the laws in the Old Testament, all, all of these rules that you have, all of the, the Jewish scriptures, all of the, 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 the laws that you have in the Old Testament, he says, you can basically boil them down to two things. You need to love God and you need to love others. 
Right? He says all of those laws, all of those 600 laws. Listen, the point of all of those is so that you can understand how to love God and how to love others. So Jesus, what he would do is he would take these complicated things, he would make them simple. It would be more difficult, but it would be easier, simpler to understand. He's like, this is your job as a Christian. Here are your rules. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you only have two rules. Love God, love others, right? And then if you're a Christian, he's given you a purpose and he's given you a plan. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to, for you to open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be in the New Testament. So in your Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament you could think of as, as the Jewish scriptures. The New Testament you might be able to think of as the Christian scriptures. And they start with the book of Matthew. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of the life of Jesus from four different perspectives. And so Matthew is one of the people that, that followed Jesus, and he wrote down all of the things that Jesus said and Jesus did so that we could have a, an account of it. And so thousands of years later, we actually have the account of Matthew, the, the, one of these guys that followed Jesus around. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick up kind of at the end of Matthew, kind of the end of the story. So this is after Jesus has came to earth, he lived his perfect life, he died, and then he did something crazy. He came back to life. So if you're new to Christianity or new to church, we believe something kind of crazy. We believe there was a guy named Jesus who died and then came back to life. And we don't believe that's a normal thing. We believe that's a supernatural thing to prove that Jesus actually was the Son of God, that he actually does have power over even death, and that if he has power over death, he has power over anything that's going on in our lives. And so Jesus comes back to life, and then what he does is he gathers all of his followers, all of his disciples, and he kind of gives them some instructions before Jesus is gone, goes back to heaven. And he says this, Matthew 28, if you've been in church, you've heard this before. It's nothing new, but Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 18. It says this. It says, Jesus came to them, his disciples, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got two rules, love God, love others, and you've got one purpose. You need to go. And you need to make disciples. You need to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. It's a simple purpose. It's not easy, but it's simple. Go and make disciples. See, so often students will come to me, because we teach our students all the time that they were created on purpose for a purpose, that they were designed uniquely, that God created them with, with a specific set of gifts and talents and abilities. He, he put them in a certain family to give them certain experiences, right? He created them on purpose for a purpose. And so they'll, they'll come and say, well, how do I figure out what my purpose is, right? How do I figure out what God has planned for me, and you've probably thought the same thing before, because I know that I have. Like, God, what college am I supposed to go to? Or what job am I supposed to take? Or should I move my family across the country for this job? Or, or should I ask this girl to marry me? Or, or God, what, you know, what should I buy this house? Or what, what should I do? Like, God, what is your purpose and plan for me? And a pastor I follow named Jonathan Pecluda said that, that if we don't follow Jesus with, with his explicit revelation in Scripture, right? If we don't follow Jesus' purpose for our lives that we find in Scripture, why would we think that he would give us a special purpose and a special revelation outside of that? And so his point is this, that God has given each and every one of us as Christ followers a purpose, a mission, that's to go and make disciples. And that if we're not trying to live that out, if we're not trying to be faithful with the general purpose he's given all of us, why would he reveal to us the, the specific purpose he's given us? We need to be faithful with what God has already shown us, and then maybe he will give us the revelation for us that we want, our specific revelation about what our purpose is in our lives. And so we as Christians, we are to go and we're to make disciples, and that seems simple enough, but as we already talked about, it's it's so difficult to actually do. 
we build it up in our minds as, as this impossible thing. Because what I tend to do is I, I tend to look at Scripture and I see guys like Paul, who was this incredible missionary, who, who was a Pharisee, so he knew Scripture front and back, and he met Jesus and it changed everything about his life. And he, he gave everything in his life up to go and plant churches, to tell people about Jesus. And he faced so many trials and so many problems, all to tell people about Jesus. And then at the end of all this, G, Paul says, I faced all these trials and troubles, but, but it's all been worth it. And I'm like, Paul, man, your life was crazy. I don't know about it, right? But, but he says, no, it's worth it because I got to tell people about Jesus. I got to start these churches, right? That, that's Paul's story. And I look at Paul and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be that, right? I'm never going to be the missionary like Paul was, or, or and then maybe we look at Scripture and we see a guy named Peter, right, who admittedly didn't get it right at first, who denied Jesus, was scared of a little girl who ran away, right? But, but Peter, after he met the resurrected Jesus, changed everything. He became incredibly bold for his faith. And he would stand up and he would preach these sermons and thousands of people would come to know Jesus. And I think, I, I can't do that either, right? And, and so Paul, the missionary, and Peter, this, this guy who's preaching these incredible sermons, like, I'm never going to be either one of those things. So sure, they're fulfilling the great commission to go and make disciples, but, but I can't do those things. So what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live this out? And what I want to do with our time left together is look at a couple examples of Scripture of, of maybe some people who, who aren't the heroes that Peter and Paul are, that, that give me a little bit of hope that maybe I can do this. So if you're in Matthew chapter 28, if you want to turn over just a few pages to Mark chapter 1. So Matthew, the next, very next book is Mark. It's a, also telling the life of Jesus just from a different perspective from a guy named Mark. And so Mark chapter 1 verse 40 is where we're going to pick up. And it says this, it says, a man with leprosy came to him, him being Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant, so he reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Now, most times when we talk about this verse, or you've heard this verse, that we kind of park here, and we talk about the power of Jesus to heal and to perform amazing things, which is amazing. But what I want us to do is, is kind of look at the man's response. So verse 43, it says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Right? So Jesus is saying, hey, I just healed you, but don't tell anyone about it, which seems kind of silly because we just talked about how Jesus said we should go and tell other people about it. But this is early in Jesus's ministry. So he understands that if, if word gets out that he can heal people, if word gets out that he can perform miracles, he won't be able to do anything anymore because he will just be surrounded by people. He knew his time hadn't yet come. And so he tells this guy, hey, keep this on the down low. Don't tell anyone about it. Verse 45, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news, right? So the guy just was healed by Jesus. Jesus says, hey, don't go tell anyone. And he says, eh, I'm going to tell everyone I know, because here's what happened. He met Jesus. Jesus changed his life, and he couldn't help but tell other people what Jesus had done. He couldn't help himself. He had to tell someone about it. One more story, Mark chapter 5. So if you're in Mark 1, just flip over a few more pages to Mark chapter 5. This is later in Jesus' ministry. We see a similar story. So Mark chapter 5 starts with, with um, this crazy story of Jesus healing this man who was possessed by demons. And he sends these demons out of this man and this herd of pigs. They go and run off a cliff. It's, it's kind of a weird story. It's a crazy story. But, but again, showing the power that Jesus has. But when Jesus does this, the people around him kind of freak out because this man had been possessed by all these demons for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's normal. 
right? And we pick up in verse 18, it says this, as Jesus was getting into the boat after healing this man, he's about to leave, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, right? Which I understand, like, you just did this incredible thing for me. Let me follow you. Let me go with you. But Jesus did not let him, but said instead, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So again, Jesus changes a man's life, and he immediately begins telling everyone about it, and people are amazed. And what I want us to realize is that neither of these men knew much about Jesus. Right? They, they likely weren't scholars. They didn't have religious training. Right? They hadn't memorized scripture. They hadn't even been through like evangelism training. Right? They simply had an encounter with Jesus that changed their lives, and they couldn't help but tell people about it. And so when we say found people, find people, what if, what if this could be as simple as these stories right here? Simple as Jesus' instructions to go home to your own people and tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. What if sharing our faith wasn't necessarily following a formula, but instead it was rather building relationships with people who are far from God so that you can tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you? Right? What if it's telling the friend whose marriage is falling apart about how the hope that Jesus offers and how he's been there for you in the difficult times of your marriage? What if it's inviting the neighbor over for dinner even though you're busy and even though they're busy and then when over dinner you get the chance to share your story? You get to share about why you believe in Jesus. Right? What if it's explaining at work why you have joy when all of your coworkers, all they do is complain about how awful the job is? What if, what if instead you can say, you know what, I have joy even though this job's not my favorite because of what Jesus offers. Jesus actually offers hope and joy in the everyday moments of life. Right? And listen, I'm not just saying this is like a friendship evangelism, evangelism thing where like you become friends with someone but like never actually get around to sharing the gospel. And like I'm also not saying that we shouldn't learn how to share our faith or that we shouldn't study apologetics or that we shouldn't memorize scripture because listen, all those things are important. All of those things are valuable. I'm just saying you aren't disqualified from this if you haven't done those things yet. Right? I'm just saying, what if evangelism wasn't just something that we did every once in a while? It wasn't this thing where we're like, okay, we're going to come together as a church, we're going to go out, and we're going to knock on doors, or we're going to evangelize. What if it was more than that? What if it was just how we lived our lives? What if we were just people who found people? Right? What, what if it's just we lived our lives in such a way that we were so grateful for what Jesus did for us that we can't help but tell people about him? And listen, imagine with me for a second what this would look like if we decided to all take this seriously? What if we all in this room decided that we were gonna find somebody, right? It isn't our job to save anybody. It's simply our job to point people to Jesus. It isn't our job to fix anybody, right? It's simply our job to point people to Jesus. And what if we decided we were all going to be finders? What would your neighborhood look like if you began sharing the hope that you had with your neighbors? What would your classrooms look like if you began sharing the hope and the love of Jesus in your classrooms, students, like, what, what would your, your office look like if there were a few more joyful Christ followers in the office because of you? What would your family gatherings look like if, if everyone in your family was a follower of Jesus, right? What would our church look like? Imagine, what would our church look like if we began looking at people outside the faith as people that we need to love and welcome in instead of looking at them as people who are projects or people who need to get their act together before they belong here, right? What if we were a church where people could belong here before they believed what we believed, Right? Imagine with me what it would look like if we began to live this out each and every day. 
We're in the middle of a building and renovation project here at the church. I'm so excited about what we're doing through Impacting Tomorrow today. If you're new with us, uh, what we're doing is we're actually renovating our worship center. It's going to be state-of-the-art. It's going to be beautiful. That's why we're actually meeting in the gym. And we're also actually adding some children's space under our children's wing. So there can be a dedicated children's space that's secure, that's safe, that can, we can provide incredible environments for your children. Because we want to reach young families here. We, we want to reach young families. But, but here's the deal. This isn't like a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come kind of thing, right? Like we're trying to reach young families. If you want to do that, you, the church, need to reach young families. They're not just going to magically appear. Because gone are the days when people go to church because they're supposed to right? We're becoming more and more a post-Christian society. Listen, 25% of Americans identify as having no religious affiliation. It's 35% among millennials and even higher among Gen Z, right? We're moving away from Christianity. We're moving away from organized religion. Listen, and we send missionaries all over the world to reach people far from God, but listen, more and more, they're in our backyards, If you look at the latest stats, like 71% of DFW identifies as Christian, but then if you take a little deeper look into that and you look at people's like habits, like if they're going to church or reading their Bible or praying, that number drops to around 40%. And then then if you look at different statistics, you you might get that same 75% number, might be Christians, but but really only 25% of them are actually following Jesus actively. So there's a 50% that's kind of like nominal Christian. They say they're Christian, but they're, they're not really living it out. So if you look at those stats and we say 25% of our area is Christian, that means 75% of our Christian area is not Christian. 75% of the people that you encounter out in the world, outside of these walls, don't know Jesus. Right? The Great Commission is for us right here, right now, right here in Tarrant County. So let's be a church that's for people. Right? Let's be a church that's about extending hope together. Yes, across the world. Yes, to places like Wales. Yes, to places like India. But also, yes, right here in Fort Worth and in Hazlitt, and in Keller, and in Saginaw. Let's be a church that loves people that are different than us. Because let's remember that we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And even if you accepted Jesus 40 years ago, you're just as much in need of him today as you were back then. Let's remember that people are never the enemy, that we have an enemy. His name is Satan. So it doesn't matter if someone's different than us. It doesn't matter if someone doesn't believe what we believe. It doesn't matter if someone is a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter if someone is black or white. It doesn't matter. God loves them. So let's be a church that loves them. Let's be a church that doesn't try to fix people, but instead points them to Jesus. Imagine what it would look like if we all decided to take this seriously. Imagine the impact we could have as a church. Imagine the impact that you could have on someone's eternity. That someone's eternity could be different because you were willing to be a finder. You were willing to be someone who finds people. I want to tell you a story. Um, I met a guy in in middle school named Tyler, and um, me and Tyler got along. We played basketball together in middle school. Um, We kind of had the similar stories. His parents went through a divorce, and and my parents had gone through a divorce before that, and so we kind of got to connect around that, and, and, you know, I got to be like, hey, I know that's awful. Like, let's be friends and talk about it, right? You know, and so we got to to share the struggles through that, and and Tyler was a great kid, but he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He didn't know Jesus, and so... um, 
I just invited him one day to church. I'm like, hey, man, you should come to church with me on Wednesday night um, because my youth group does this thing. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We have a good time. Like, you just come and hang out, right? And so he did. He came with me to church, and then he started coming with me every week to church, and every week he would come back, and every week he would come back, and eventually, like, I invited him to this big thing we had called D-Now where we stay the night in host homes all across the place, and we bring in a speaker, right? So Tyler came with that to me, and he accepted Jesus at, at this event. It was incredible. I was like, oh, my gosh, I had to be a part of, of Tyler coming to know Jesus, then we get to high school, and, and we're still friends. We kind of drift apart a little bit, right? Um, so I, I kept playing basketball, and he didn't. And so we kind of ran with different crowds. And, and then we went to college, and, and just kind of what happens is you drift apart, right? We, 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 he went, I went to one college. He went to another. And, and we kind of just lost touch with each other. Well, a few months ago, he, he actually messaged me um, and out of the blue, and he said this. He says, hey, man, I know that this is out of the blue, but, but you were on my, mind, on my mind today for some reason. So I don't think we've talked in about 10 years, and we had grown apart even before that but I wanted to say thank you. You really changed the trajectory of my life when you stepped out in faith and invited me to church all those years ago. I'm grateful for you. I hope everything is going well for you, and I'd love to hear about your life sometime. Now, listen, I don't share that story to try to make me look good because, as I said at the beginning of this message, right, I I mess up all the time, right? I chicken out. I don't share my faith when I should. But I just want to show you the, the power that a simple invite can have. All I did was invite my friend to church. Jesus changed his life. What if sharing our faith isn't this big, giant, complicated thing we've built up in our minds? What if it's as simple as this? Going home to our own people, telling them how much the Lord has done for us and how he's had mercy on you. So my question for you today is this, is who are you finding Who are you being intentional about sharing your faith with? Who in your life is far from God that you can begin to be intentional about cultivating a relationship with so that you can share your story, you can share how Jesus has changed your life and how he offers that same change to them? And listen, we say we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, and that sounds really big, like we got to go and tell everyone in the entire world, like, okay, yeah, that's cool, but, but maybe just start with one. Right, make, make it a little simpler on you. Maybe just start with one. Who's one person in your life that you know is far from God? That you're going to begin praying for by name. That you're going to begin sharing your story with. That you're going to begin inviting to church. Right? Who is your one? So let's not sit on the sidelines and, and let other people take care of this. Listen, the mission, our purpose is right outside these walls. So let's not be content to hide away from the world. No, let's go change the world. And it starts with one. And it starts with you. So who's your one? Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, I'm so thankful for who you are and thankful that you forgive a sinner like me. God, I don't deserve it, but you still love me anyway. So God, I apologize and ask for forgiveness for all of the times that I've messed up, all of the times that I've fallen short, all of the times that I was embarrassed or ashamed or scared to tell people about you, God, but I'm thankful that that you've given me more opportunities to do that still. I pray that you give me boldness and courage to continue to share my faith with others, God, and I pray the same thing for the people sitting in this room, that you would make us a people that that are so in love with the people that that are outside these walls that we can't help but tell them about you. 
that we're so grateful for the work that you've done in our lives that, that we simply can't resist sharing that hope and joy with other people. So I gotta pray that, that we would be people that have boldness, that have courage. I pray that we would be finders. So if you're sitting in this room with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, if, if there's someone in your life that God is placing on your heart right now that, that can be your one, that can be the person that, that maybe God wants you to share your story with, if, if there's someone coming to your mind right now, would, would you just raise your hand? I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to move. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I just wanna, wanna pray for you right now. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Lord, I'm so thankful for these people who raised their hands. And God, I wanna pray for for the individuals that, that were represented by those hands that were raised. God, you know their names, you know their stories, you know exactly where they are, exactly who they are, exactly what they need, God. So I pray boldness and courage for those who raise their hands, that you would use them to change someone's eternity, that you would use them to point them to Jesus where Jesus can change everything about them, change their life, change their future, God. Thank you for that. In just a moment, I'm, we're gonna sing another song